I, I want you to engage today with the word. That's what I want you to do. I want you to engage with it. I want you to not simply just read it and try to understand everything it says, but to, 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 to immerse yourself in it. Immerse yourself in the story. Immerse yourself in the narrative. Immerse yourself and put yourself into a position in which you can then hear through the lens of the author, the person who's writing this, um, through the inspiration of God. That's what we want to do. We want to read the text through the eyes and through the lens of the author. And so we want to immerse ourselves in a way where we're not simply trying to uh, interpret and dissect things within our very small uh, intellectual and experiential perspectives. But what we want to do is we want to immerse ourselves in a way where we're hearing this text, but we're also hearing the heart of the author who's written this text. This is how we cultivate our relationship with God. This is how we cultivate uh, our time in discipleship and being formed and being shaped and being exhorted into the image of God. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to engage in the word. And I want to encourage you, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 9. We'll be in Nehemiah chapter 9. And we will be continuing our reading of the book of Nehemiah. If you've been here from the beginning, you know that we've been reading since Genesis. We started from the beginning and we're reading all the way through. And what I love about the last reading rent that we did, the conviction is how powerful it is when the believers spend time in the reading of the word, not simply waiting to be told about what the Bible says, but when believers spend time immersing themselves in the word. Um, it is one of the travesties of the church today is that a lot of us, we have not read the word, like we've not, we haven't read the whole thing and we find difficulty in really interpreting what's being preached on Sundays or the, the small snippets that we get. We have difficulty really piecing it all together because again, we don't have the big story, the big picture, the grand narrative. And so that's why it is critically important critically important that every believer reads through the entire Bible and that every believer engages in that activity. And so I want to show you here how much scripture you can get through. You can get through a lot of Bible with just 20 minutes a day, right? You can get through a lot of Bible with half a Netflix episode a day. And that's what we've been doing. And look at how much Bible we've gotten through. We're now in the book of Nehemiah and we're getting now towards the tail end of the book. And so, um, and that's what we're going to do. We're just going to keep engaging and reading through the text. And so if you can draw your attention to the book of Nehemiah and the three questions that we're going to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? Second question we're going to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning people? What are you revealing concerning people, your people, humanity? And then the third question we're going to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning me? What are you revealing concerning me? Um, and it's this posture that we take that's going to help us really hear from God today as we read through the text. Father, we seek to hear from you. We desire to hear from you. Father, we're not looking to... Um, cultivate our own understanding and our own wisdom. We're not here to cultivate our own ideology and our own perspective. We're not here to formulate our own worldview. But Lord, we're here to, to get to know you and to know what you desire of us. And so, Father, we just pray, Lord, that you would reveal your heart to us. And it's possible. 
that we're not going to understand everything that we read in this time of reading. But Lord, I just pray that we could all at least be able to discern your heart and to get to know you in a deeper way today. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to read from verse 1, and then we're going to get moving. Verse 1, Nehemiah chapter 9, and it says this, Now on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting in sackcloth and with dust on their heads. Then those of the Israelite lineage separated themselves from the foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of law of the Lord their God for one-fourth of the day, and for another fourth they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Then Joshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Buni, Cherubiah, Bani, and Shanani stood on the stairs of the Levites and cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. And the Levites, Joshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Heshbaniah, Heshbaniah, Hesh. Heshabna, Heshabnia, goodness gracious, Heshabnia, Sherebiah, Hodijah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heavens of heavens, with all their hosts the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Girgashites to give it to his descendants. You have performed your words, for you are gracious. You saw the affliction of your fathers in Egypt. You heard their cry by the Red Sea. You showed, the, you showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, and against all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted proudly against them. So you made a name for yourself, as it is this day. And you divide the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on the dry land. And their persecutors you threw into, into the deep as a stone into mighty waters. Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the road, which they should travel. You came down also on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses, your servant. Hmm. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought them water out of the rock for their thirst and told them to go in to possess the land which you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey, and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. And they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. Even when they made a molded calf for themselves and said, this is your God that brought you out, up out of Egypt and worked great provocations, yet you, your manifold mercies, 
you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud did not depart from them by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them light. Hmm. You also gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. Moreover, you gave them kingdoms and nations and divided them into districts so that they took possessions of the land of Sion, the king, the land of the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You also multiplied their children as the stars of heaven and brought them into the land which you had told their fathers to go in and possess. So the people went in and possessed the land. You subdued them from the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land that they might do with them as they wish. And they took strong cities and a rich land and possessed houses full of all goods, cisterns, all already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. And they ate and were filled and grew fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you, cast your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who testified against them to turn them to yourself. And they worked great provocations. Therefore, you delivered them into the hand of their enemies who possessed them. And in time of their trouble, when they cried to you, you heard from heaven. And according to your abundant mercies, you gave them deliverers who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they, did, they again did evil before you. Therefore, you left them in the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven. And many times you delivered them according to your mercies and testified against them that you might bring them back to your law. Yet they acted proudly and did not heed your commandments, but sinned against your commandments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they shrugged their shoulders, stiffened their necks, and would not hear Yet for many years you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit in your prophets. Yet they would not listen. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them nor forsake them. For you are God, gracious and merciful. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty and awesome God, who keeps covenant and mercy do not let all the trouble seem small before you that has come upon us, our kings and our princes, our priests and our prophets, our fathers, and on all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria until this day. However, you are just in all that has befallen us, for you have dealt faithfully, but we have done wickedly. Neither our kings, nor our princes, nor priests, nor our fathers have kept your law, nor heeded your commandments and your testimonies, which you testified against them. For they, had not, for they have not served you in their kingdom, or in the many good things that you gave them, or in the large and rich land which you set before them, nor did they turn from their wicked works. Here we are, servants today. And the land that you gave to our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty, here we are, servants in it. 
and it yields much increase to the kings which you have set over us because of our sins. Also, yet, sorry, also they have dominion over our bodies and our cattle at their pleasure, and we are in great distress. And because of this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. Chapter 10, verse 1. Now those who placed their seal on the document were Nehemiah the governor, the son of Hekeliah, and Zedekiah, Sariah, Azariah, Jeremiah, Pashur, Amariah, Malkijah, Hattush, Shebaniah, Malush, Harim, Merimoth, Obadiah, Daniel, Genanath, Barak, Meshulam, Abijah, Mejamin, Maza, Bilgai, and Shemai. These were the priests. The Levites, Joshua, the son of Azaniah, Benui, of the sons of Hanadad and Kadmiel. Their brethren, Shebaniah, Hodijah, Kelita, Peliah, Hanan, Micah, Rehob, Reshabiah, Zakur, Sherebiah, Shebaniah, Hadijah, Bani, and Baninu. The leaders of the people, Parash, Paath Moab, Elam, Zatu, Bani, Buni, Asgad, Mebbai, Adonijah, Bigvai, Adin, Atter, Hezekiah, Azer, Hodijah, Hasham, Bazai, Harif, Anathoth, Nebai, Migpaish, Meshulam, Hezer, Meshazabel, Zadok, Shadua, Pelatiah, Hanan, Aniah, Hoshiah, Hoshea, sorry, Hananiah, Hashub, Heluash, Pilha, Shobek, Rehum, Heshbna, Messiah, Ahijah, Hanan, Anan, Maluk, Harim, and Bana. Now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the Nethanim, and all who had separated themselves from the people of the lands of the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, everyone who had knowledge and understanding, these joined with their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which which was given by Moses, the servant of God and to observe all and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his ordinances and his statutes. We would not give our daughters as wives to the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. If the people of the land brought wares or any grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we would not buy it from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, and we would forego the seventh year of produce and exacting of every debt. Also, we made ordinances for ourselves to exact from ourselves yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, for the regular grain offering, for the regular burnt offering of the Sabbath, the new moons, and the set feasts, for the holy things, for the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel, and all the work of the house of our God. We cast lots among the priests, the Levites, and the people for bringing the wood offering into the house of our God, according to our father's houses at the appointed times year by year, 
to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law. We made ordinances to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of all trees year by year to the house of the Lord, to bring the firstborn of our sons and our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, to bring the first fruits of our dough, our offering, the fruits from all kinds of trees, the new wine and oil to the priests, to the storerooms of the house of God, and to bring the tithes of our land to the Levites. For the Levites should receive the tithes in all farming communities. And the priests, the descendant of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive tithes. And the, tithe, and the Levites shall bring up a tenth of the tithes to the house of God, to the rooms of the storehouse. For the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of grain, of the new wine, and the oil to the storerooms, where the articles of the sanctuary are, where the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers are. And we will not neglect the house of our God. Chapter 11. Now the leaders of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine-tenths were to dwell in other cities. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. These are the heads of the provinces who dwell, sorry, of the province who dwell in Jerusalem. But in the cities of Judah, everyone dwelt in his own possession at their cities, Israelites, priests, Levites, Nethanim, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. Also in Jerusalem dwelt some of the children of Judah and the children of Benjamin, the children of Judah, Athiah, the son of Uzziah, the son of Zechariah, the son of Emariah, the son of Shephatiah, the son of Mahalel, of the children of Perez and Maasiah, the son of Baruch, the son of Colhoseed, the son of Haziah, the son of Adiah, the son of Jeroab, Joyarab, the son of Zechariah, the son of Shaloni, all sons of Perez who dwelt at Jerusalem were 468 valiant men. And these are the sons of Benjamin, Salu, the son of Meshulam, the son of Joadad, the son of Padiah, the son of Koliah, the son of Messiah, the son of Ithiel, the son of Jeshiah, and after him, Gabiah and Saliah, 928. Joel, the son of Zikri, was their overseer, and Judah, the son of Senua, was the second over the city. Of the priests, Jediah, the son of Jorab, and Jakin, Sariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Meshulam, the son of Zadok, the son of Marioth, the son of Ahitub, was the leader of the house of God. Their brethren, who did the work of the house, were 822. And Adiah, the son of Jeruam, the son of Peliah, the son of Amzi, the son of Zechariah, the son of Pashor, the son of Melchizedek, and his brethren, heads of the father's houses, were 242. And Amishiah, the son of Azarel, the son of Azai, sorry, the son of Meshelamoth, the son of Immer, and their brethren, mighty men of valor, were 128. Their overseers were Zebdiel, the son of one of the great men. Also of the Levites, Shemaiah, the son of Heshub, the son of Ezrekam, the son of Heshabiah, the son of Bunni, Shebathiah, and Josabad, all of the heads of the Levites, had the oversight of the business outside of the house of God. 
Metaniah, the son of Micah, the son of Zabdi, the son of Asaph, the leader who began the thanksgiving with prayer, Bagbukiah, the son among the brethren, and Abda, the son of Shemua, the son of Galal, the son of Jedathan. All the Levites in the holy city were 284. Moreover, the gatekeepers of the gatekeepers, Akub, Talman, and their brethren, who kept the gates, were 172. And the rest of Israel, of the priests and Levites, were in all the cities of Judah, everyone in his inheritance. But the Nethanim dwelt in Ophel, and Ziha and Gishpa were over the Nethanim. Also the overseer of the Levites at Jerusalem was Uzi, the son of Bani, the son of Heshabiah, the son of Metaniah, the son of Micah, of the sons of Asaph, the singers in charge of the service of the house of God. For it was the king's command concerning them that a certain portion should be for the singers, a quota day by day. Pethiah, the son of Meshezabel, and the children of Zerah, the son of Judah, was the king's deputy in all matters concerning the people. And as for the villages with their fields, some of the children of Judah dwelt in Kerjath Arba and its villages, Dibon and its villages, Jechabzil and its villages, goodness, and Jeshua, Molada, Beth Palet, Hazar, Shual, and Beersheba and its villages, and Ziklag and Makona and its villages, and En Rimon, Zorah, Jarmuth, Zenoa, Adullam, and their villages, and Lachish, and its villages, and Ezekah, and its villages, they dwell from Beersheba to the valley of Hinnom. Also the children of Benjamin from Geba dwelt in Michmash, Aijah, Bethel, and their villages, and Anathoth, Nob, and Aniah, and Hazor, Ramah, and Gitaim, and Hadid, Zeboim, Nebalat, and Lod, Ono, in the valley of Craftsmen. Some of the Judean divisions of the Levites were in Benjamin. And we'll read this last chapter. Now these are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, Sariah, Jeremiah, Ezra, Amariah, Maluk, Hattush, Shechaniah, Rahum, Miramoth, Edo, Genethoi, Abijah, Mejamin, Madiah, Bilga, Shemaiah, Joyrib, Jediah, Salu, Amok, Hilkiah, and Jediah. These were the heads of the priests of their brethren in the days of Jeshua. Moreover, the Levites were Jeshua, Benui, Kadmiel, Sherebiah, Judah, and Metaniah, who led the Thanksgiving Psalm, he and his brethren, and Bagbukia and Uni, their brethren, stood across from them in their duties. Jeshua begot Joachim. Joachim begot Elashib. Eliashib begot Joiada. Uh, and Joiada begot Jonathan. And Jonathan begot Jadua. In the days of Joachim, the priests, the heads of the father's houses were Sariah, Mariah, of Jeremiah, Hananiah, of Ezra, Meshulam, of, Mar- of Amariah, Jehonan, of Melchizedek, Maliku, Jonathan, of Shebaniah, Joseph, of Harim, Adna, of Merimoth, Merioth, sorry, Halkiah, 
of Edo, Zechariah, of Ginnathon, Meshulam, of Abijah, Zikri, the son of Minjamim, of Moadiah, Piltai, of Bilgiah, Shamua, of Shemaiah, Jonathan, of Joarib, Metani, of Jediah, Uzi, of Saliah, Kalai, of Amok, Eber, of Hilkiah, Heshabiah, and of Jediah, Nethanel. During the reign of Darius the Persian, a record was also kept of Levites and priests who had been heads of their father's houses in the days of Eliashib, Joadiah, Joanan, and Jediah, Jedua, sorry, the sons of Levi, the heads of the father's houses until the days of Joanan, the son of Eliashib, were written in the book of the Chronicles. And the heads of the Levites were Hashabiah, Serabiah, and Joshua, the son of Kadmiel, with their brothers across from them to praise and give thanks, group alternating with group, according to the command of David, the man of God, Mataniah, Bukiah, Obadiah, Meshulam, Talmud, Akub, were gatekeepers keeping watch at the storerooms of the gates. These lived in the days of Joachim, the son of Joshua, the son of Josadak, in the days of Nehemiah, the governor, and of the of Ezra, the priest, the scribe. Now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites in their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgivings and singings, with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the countryside around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Netophathites, from the house of Gilgal, and from the fields of Geba and Asmaveth, for the singers had built themselves villages all around Jerusalem. And the priests and Levites purified themselves and purified the people, the gates, and the wall. So I brought the leaders of Judah up on the wall and appointed two large thanksgiving choirs. One went to the right hand of the wall toward the refuse gate. After them, Hoshiah and half of the leaders of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, and some of the priests' sons with trumpets, Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, and the son of Shemaiah, the son of Metaniah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zechar, the son of Asaph, the son of, sorry, the son of Asaph, and his brethren, Shemaiah, Azarel, Malai, Gilali, Gilalai, Mai, Nethanel, Judah, and Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God, Ezra, the scribe went before them. By the fountain gate in front of them, they went up to the stairs of the city of David on the stairway of the wall beyond the house of David, as far as the water gate eastward. The other Thanksgiving choir went the opposite way, and that was behind them with half of the people on the wall, going past the tower of the ovens as far as the broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim, above the old gate, above the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, the tower of the hundred, as far as the sheep gate, and they stopped at the gate of the prison. So the two Thanksgiving choirs stood at the house of God. Likewise, I and the half of the rulers with me, and the priest Eliakim, Mahaset, Minjamim, Nakiah, Elioni, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets, and Masaiah, Shemaiah, Eliezer, Uzi, Joanan, Melchizedek, Elam, and Ezer, 
the singer singing loudly with Jezriah, the director. Also that day, they offered great sacrifices and rejoice, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. And at the same time, some were appointed over the rooms of the storehouses for the offerings, the first fruits, and the tithes, to gather them, to gather into them from the fields of the cities, the portions specified by the law for the priests and the Levites. For Judah rejoiced over the priests, and the Levites also ministered. Both the singers and the gatekeepers kept the charge of their God and the charge of the purification according to the command of David and Solomon his son. And for the days of David and Asaph of old, there were chiefs of the singers, the songs of praise of thanksgiving to God in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah. All Israel gave the portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, a portion for each day. And they consecrated the holy things for the Levites. And the Levites consecrated them for the children of Aaron. I'm going to I'm going to stop right here. Um I'm going to share just a few thoughts with you um whatever is afforded to us in the time that we've been given. Um I, There's a lot that I would like to uh, dissect and maybe exposit and exegete in this particular portion of text but you know, I'm, I'm like I said. I, I tend to avoid the temptation of, you know, doing a Bible study on this stuff. I'll save that for Patreon. <laughs> I'll save that for my patrons once we're able to really commit on a weekly basis to that. But instead, what I prayed for, and instead, what I decided to engage in as we, um. Actually, you know what? You're right. You're right, JJ. I think we should just actually just read the last chapter because we'll be done. And then I'll share my thoughts. So we're going to read that last chapter because there's only one chapter left. So let's read that last chapter and then we'll, we'll, we'll conclude the book and then you'll see where, where I want to go with my thoughts for the day. So let's do that. Um, chapter 13, verse 1. It says, on that day. They read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God, because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. So it was when they had heard the law that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. Hmm. Now, before this, Eliashib, the priest, having authority over the storerooms of the house of God, was allied with Tobiah, and he had prepared for him a large room where previously they had stored grain offerings, the frankincense, the articles, the tithes of grain, the new wine and oil, which were commanded to be given to the Levites and the singers and the gatekeepers and the offerings for the priests. But during all this, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Then after certain days, I obtained leave from the king. And I came to Jerusalem and discovered that the evil that, the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah in preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me bitterly 
Therefore, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. And I commanded them to cleanse the rooms. And I brought back into them the articles of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. I also realized that the portion, the portions for the Levites had not been given them. For each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to the field, to his field. So I contended with the rulers and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. And I appointed as treasures over the storehouse Shelemiah the priest and Zadok the scribe of the Levites and Padiah. And next to them was Hanan the son of Zakur, the son of Mataniah, for they were considered faithful. And their task was to distribute to their brethren. Remember me, O my God, concerning this. And do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for the service. In those days, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses in the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wines, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about the day on which they were selling provisions. Men of Tyre dwelt there also, and they brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, What evil thing is this that you do by which you profane the Sabbath day? Did you not? Or sorry, did not your fathers do this? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. So it was at the gates of Jerusalem as I began to be, as it, as it began to be dark before the Sabbath, that I commanded the gates to be shut and charged that they must be opened until after the Sabbath. Then I posted some of my servants at the gates so that no burdens would be brought on in on the Sabbath day. Now the merchants and sellers and all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once, lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. Then I warned them and said to them, why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they came no more on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should go and guard the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, O oh my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of your mercy. In those days, I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of the children spoke, to, spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah, but, according, but spoke according to the language of one of the other people. So I contended with them and cursed them and struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters as your sons for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused him, caused even him to sin. Should we then hear of your doing of all this great evil, transgressing against our God and marrying pagan women? And one of the sons of Joida, the son of Elishiah, the high priest, was the son of law, son Balat the Horonite. Therefore I drove him to me. Remember them, O oh my God, 
because I, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood of the Levites. Thus, I cleanse them of everything pagan. I also assign duties to the priests and the Levites, each to his service, and to bring the wood offering and the first fruits at appointed times. Remember me, oh my God, for good. Um, it was better that we ended there. Um, it was better that we ended there. These are hands of a different kind, yes. Um, because I was actually intending to speak into what we were reading before we read this last chapter and where this is going to go. And I think since we're closing out in the book of Nehemiah, we might as well close out with these thoughts. <sighs> if you've been with me, we went through Ezra. And at the end of Ezra, as you know, I told you all that tension of Ezra is bothersome to me. You're left with a tension that is bothersome to me because there's something deep down from within that tells you this is not how it ought to be. It's just not supposed to be like this. Of course, the hope that we had was, well, Ezra is really just half of the book because Ezra and Nehemiah are really one book. And so since Ezra and Nehemiah, one book really split into two, then we can just finish the book and then we'll be good. We'll finally get to the resolution. And then you get to the end of this book and what you have is a profoundly anticlimactic end. When Nehemiah is crying out to God and saying, remember me, oh my God, for good. Remember me, oh my God for good. It's funny because in that same chapter, he says in verse 14, in chapter 13, he says, remember me, oh my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out, um, do not wipe out my good deeds. Um, these are strong words. This is a man who, you, you, you get a sense that this man is confronting the reality that this is not turning out the way that he would have expected him expected it. And because he's justified what he does and the work that he has done in rebuilding the wall and establishing order and justice, establishing the nation of Israel in submission to the law of God, you would you can see there that that Nehemiah really aligned all of that to his relationship with God. And so, in essence, he had a deep sense of call and conviction. This is what God was calling me to do. This is what God told me to do. This is what God inspired me to do, is to build this wall. In the same way that Ezra had that conviction, that this is what God inspired him to do, was to bring the law back to the children of Israel, and in the same conviction that uh, Zerubbabel had, right, at the beginning. So we go from Zerubbabel to Ezra and then to Nehemiah, three key characters who are in the process or in part partnering 
with God in the rebuilding of the nation of Israel. One person, Zerubbabel, his, his responsibility was to rebuild the temple. And then you've got Ezra, who had a deep sense of conviction to rebuild the people. And then you have Nehemiah, who had this deep intention to rebuild the city. Temple, people, city. Because again, in those days, a city wasn't considered a city unless walls were built around it. There weren't any walls around it. It was just a village. And this city was in ruins. And so, of course, we see the culmination of all of that once the walls are fully built. But this is the deep call that, that Nehemiah had. These people were profoundly broken. We see that um, just a few chapters ago, as they are celebrating, right, the, the, the accomplishment of rebuilding the city, as they are um, inaugurating a new city, the city of Jerusalem in, in Judah, as they're inaugurating this new city, they're going back to, to reflect on their story. And for those of you who have been with us and you've been uh, journeying with us through the reading rant, you've, you've read all of this. You know, it was kind of like a cliff note version of the story of the children of Israel as they left Egypt and came to Israel and to Judah. Well, Israel and Judah are split, but it was all one nation at one point. What we know as the promised land, Canaan, and how they subdued that land. And then once they subdued that land, they fell from the grace of God. They fell from the grace of God as a result of their disobedience to God's law, God's law that was instituted to them from uh, um, ever since Exodus when they were uh, traversing the wilderness. And now that they're on this side and they're on the territory and they have the territory, they were called to maintain and to keep that law and to establish a community, a people, a nation, a government under that law, a law that is peculiar, a law that is different, a law that is in many ways cutting edge, a law that doesn't look like any other law. This law is different. This law is different. It was profoundly different than all the other laws around that time. These people were governed by something that nobody else was governed by. They were different people. They were peculiar people. And yet that's what they were called to be. He tells them, God tells them, be holy for I am holy. This is what they were called to be. And so, yes, they, they submitted themselves to this law. They, they subjected themselves to this law, uh, believing that this is what God called them to do. But then they quickly deviated away from it. First, they promised to commit to the law. And then they deviated away from it. They broke every ordinance of that law. And as they broke every ordinance of that law, not only did they break the law, but you, you, you sense that they lost identity in the process because the whole purpose of the law, stay with me, fam. The whole purpose of the law for the children of Israel was for the sake of distinction and identity. It was a distinguishing of them to everybody else. The law that God gave them and instituted to them was for them. 
I've always said this, that when we read the law, we often insert ourselves in the law. There's those of you who may be reading this for the first time or maybe in the read and rant for the first time. This is going to be new to you. But for those of you who have been here and have been reading and journeying with me, you've heard me say this and I sound like a broken record. But the laws that we read in Leviticus and Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, the, the, the law, that, that, that law that you've read in there that people, often Christians read, we make it something that Christians are supposed to do. Like these are the rules that Christians ought to follow. The law was not a law for Christians to follow. Let me say that one more time. The law is not a law for Christians to follow. The Bible is not basic instructions before leaving earth. But that's not what this is. This is not a manual for Christian living. Like these are the rules that we ought to follow to be Christians. Actually, the law was never intended for Christians. The law was never intended for Christians. They were for the children of Israel. And so what does the law do? The law exposes the righteousness and the justice of God, the holiness of God. But these aren't ordinances that were given to Christians to follow. But rather, when we read in its posture, these were ordinances that were given to the children of Israel to follow in order to shape them out to become the nation of priests that they were called to be. And yet we know what happens. We know they fail over and over and over again. And even though they failed over and over and over again, God put in the law a law of atonement to give them forgiveness for every time they broke the law. The law was not written for Christians. The law was written for Israel's. The law, <laughs> I know I'm getting all these comments right now. And you guys are like, wait, what? The law was not written for Christians. That's right, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They weren't written for Christians. They were written for the children of Israel. We have it in our scripture so that we know what the law was because it was meant to distinguish them from the rest of the world. God told them, be holy for I am holy. So they're not rules for Christians to follow, but rather a means by which that we can see the holiness and the righteousness of God. That is the purpose of the law. Interesting how even when they broke the law, God gave them a way out of the law. That was what Leviticus was all about. The means by which a an unholy and unrighteous people can enter into the presence of God. So yeah, if you're a Christian, we read the law because we need to know the profundity of God's grace, but the life of a Christian is not a life of following rules. It's a life transformed, dying to yourself and rising to a new identity in Christ. I have to say that, and I have to bring that up, and I have to bring mention of that because for many of us, we read the law in that way. I'm only saying this to show you that the law, even for what it was meant to do in shaping out the children of Israel, even for what it was intended to do, it didn't do it because Israel disobeyed it. And because Israel disobeyed the law. Mind you, I, I, know, I know some of y'all are kind of working through this. But this is something we've been reading through this. I know I sound like a broken record for some of you, but some of you are saying, hey, I need to hear this again. Praise God, hear it again. Okay, praise God, hear it again. But, but it's critical for us to see that the law, the intention of the law was to distinguish the children of Israel. But then in the end, the law was not effective. 
because the children of Israel compromised themselves, conformed to the Canaanites. And so they became like the Canaanites. I've got read and read all day for this. But these people had covenanted with God to obey this law. This was the covenant that they made with God. And so there are consequences here. And these are the consequences that they face. That not only it was, think about this for a second. Think about this for a second. Oh man, I'm not going to have enough time. I already know I'm not going to have enough time. Think about this family. That it was the law that made them become a nation. I want you to catch this for a second. For those of you who, who need to hear this, the, the law that is, you know, the Ten Commandments and Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, it was the law that made them a nation. It was the law that they followed that brought them into Canaan, and in doing so, by the grace and the justice of God, established them to be a nation. It was the power of God that did it. So let me ask you a question. If the law brought them there, then it's the law that has to keep them there. If the law was the means by which they achieved the divine success, it would be the law now that they would need to follow in order to keep what was given to them. Stay with me, fam. So it shouldn't surprise you then. It shouldn't surprise you that when the law was broken, that they lost the nation. It shouldn't surprise you that when the law was broken, they fell into captivity because it was the law that brought them into authority. Are y'all with me on this? I hope you're catching this. So when they broke the law, they lost Israel. They fell into captivity. They fell under uh, uh, Persian, uh, sorry, first Babylonian captivity. Then the Persians took over the Babylonians, and now they're under Persian authority. And so they have lost the authority that they had because of the law that they broke. Do you understand then? Oh, man. I don't know why I'm ranting like this, but I'm just going to rant like this because I feel like there's some people who need to hear this today. The law was not about heaven and hell. It was not break the law, you go to hell, obey the law, and you go to heaven. This was about the justice of God on earth. This was about how God instituted his authority and his justice over on earth. Are y'all catching me here, family? This was about earth. This was not about heaven. Now, are there eternal implications? Yes, of course. Of course there are eternal implications to this. And of course heaven's on the line. But notice, we've been reading through all this. Have you, has anybody, let me pause for a second. I'm sorry. Has anybody read yet so far as we've been reading through this? As you've been reading through, through the Old Testament? I want to know, I want you to notice something. For those of you, for those of you who have been journeying with me through the Old Testament, have you seen any point yet where this was about heaven and hell? Have you seen any point yet as you've been reading through this where it's been about those who obeyed the law go to heaven and those who disobey the law go to hell? Has anybody seen that? Because what I've been reading is, is how God used the law to shape a people 
to be a nation of priests, to show what God is like on earth so that the earth can be restored in him and that his kingdom can come to earth. So maybe then the Ten Commandments weren't about what you need to do to go to heaven. Maybe then the book of Leviticus is not about what you need to do in order to go to heaven. Maybe the law was never about salvation. Maybe. Are you? Are you? Are you with me here? I'm sorry. I, I can't believe I only have five minutes today. Oh my gosh, I only have five minutes. I would love to sit and work this for you. It was not for heaven. The law was for God's justice on earth. The law was intended so that his kingdom could come and that his will can be done on earth as it is in heaven. <laughs> ah, and this is why God gave them Leviticus, because Leviticus is the law of the atonement, the means by which the people who will perpetually and consistently break the law be able to enter back into the presence of a holy and righteous God. Are you with me, family? Why am I saying all this? Because here's the issue, is they read the word. We see revival here in Nehemiah. And yet somewhere along the way, Nehemiah began to equate revival to compliance to the law. I've said this before, and I'll say this again. And you'll hear me say this over and over again as we read through the Old Testament. There are no heroes in the Old Testament. Did you hear me? I will say this and I'll say it again. There are no heroes in the Old Testament. None. These are all flawed, broken men who make mistakes over and over and over again. They're not people we aspire to become. They're actually people we can learn from. And for many of us, we're learning principles of leadership and principles of life through these men. And I say, be careful. What we're actually supposed to learn from them is, yes, we can learn some principles, some divine principles. But more importantly, we can learn what not to do and how not to be, and to not repeat the same mistakes that they've made. Nehemiah is one of them. Nehemiah, as for, at first you would see this man as a great leader. Nehemiah is a man of great character, okay? You can see it, he's a man of character. He loves God, you can even see it. The way this book ends so anticlimactically, he says, remember me, oh my God, for good. This man, this man, this man is, he's a man of character. He's a, he's a noble man, and he's a man who loves God. You, you see that. So that's a good thing, and yet he's still a man who's limited in his discernment for what God is actually establishing. And yes, he's playing a part in the divine story, 
But we see the story doesn't actually end well here. Nehemiah doesn't leave. We don't leave the story in Nehemiah with a sense of resolution. There's no resolution here. Nehemiah ends with, this didn't, this didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. Y'all catching me. Nehemiah ends with, I, I thought, ready for this? I thought the same way Ezra ended, right? Ezra and Nehemiah kind of ended the same way. Zerubbabel as well. I thought that once I build this wall and we bring the law back, and we established the structures and the systems and the institutions. And once we established the law over Israel, I thought that everything was going to be good again and everything was going to be all right. And we can finally be the people that we were called and meant to be somewhere along the line. I, and I don't know where, where it happens because it doesn't really tell us in the text, but it does happen here. Somewhere along the line, Nehemiah equated the imposition of the law to now the establishing of a nation as if it worked when the history that they just read proved that it doesn't because the law is ineffective in changing the human heart. Let me say that one more time. The rules don't change people. The law is ineffective effective in changing the human heart. And if the law could fix people, and if the law can fix societies, we wouldn't need prisons. You wouldn't need police officers. You wouldn't need lawyers. We wouldn't need judges. No, the law actually doesn't change the heart of a person. What the law does is it exposes the heart of a person. What the law does is it proves that we are sinful people and broken people that put us in the right environment, in the right situation. We end up in jail and in prison under prosecution. The law doesn't fix nobody and the law can't fix anybody. It can't. It cannot. That's why you have people who go to prison and they're multiple offenders. They continue to offend, they continue to offend, they continue to offend because the law doesn't change anyone. The law doesn't change. And so for some reason, Nehemiah didn't get it. Nehemiah didn't get it. <sighs> Can y'all give me like five more minutes? I know I'm going a little over time. But I need to work this part. I need to work this. The children received the law at Mount Sinai. And they were called to be set apart. But they get to the land and they become the Canaanites like every human being does. Conforms to the heart of man, to sin and debauchery. That's what we do. That's what's in our heart, family. That's who we are. David said, in sin, my mother conceived me. That's who we are, y'all. The law can't fix nobody. Then we see what happens. They fell into captivity because the same law that brought them to power was the law they disobeyed. And it's the same law by which they now are convicted into captivity. Oh, 
The law that set them free is now the law that keeps them captive. They can't follow the law, and so they live a life in perpetual captivity. They've gone for centuries now in captivity. And now they, they, they get to go back to Israel, and they go, get to go back to Judah, but not by their own power and their own authority. They're still under the authority of the Persians. And even though they're under the authority of the Persians, they have the law. And so now they believe. Institute the law. This is what this is the mistake that Nehemiah is making. Let, let me let me institute the law. And if I institute the law and give them the law and reestablish the law, we can all celebrate. We have the law back, y'all. We have the law back. And now that we have the law back, we're gonna be good again. Everything's gonna be good again because we built the temple. We, 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 we gave the people the law. So now that we have the law, we are good guys. Let's celebrate. And then Nehemiah chapter 13 tells us that not long after they're given the law, not at long after they covenant with God again which is what they did. They covenanted with God again upon dedicating the wall. They covenant with God again to submit themselves to God's law. What happens? They begin to break it right away. Because the law doesn't fix nobody. Sorry if I give you some broken English, but the law don't fix no one. The law don't fix nobody. Are you hearing me, family? The law cannot transform. The law can only create people who conform. And if you conform for long enough, all it takes is for the environment to change, for you to disobey and to break from the law because you're conforming to the law is by culture, by powers, by institution, by consequences. There are people who don't break the law because they're afraid of the consequences. There are people who don't break the law because they're afraid of rejection. There are people who don't break laws because they're afraid of, chain, uh, of shame. But if I can protect myself and keep myself from being ashamed, then I can do what my heart really desires to do. This is why we sin in the dark. Can I, can I help you out real quick? This is the problem with legalistic faith. Legalistic faith says that I'm going to subject myself to the laws in order to protect myself from shame. I'm going to subject myself to the law in order to preserve my position in my community. I'm going to protect. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep myself and obey the law in order to preserve my status and my name. So if I can find myself a condition by which my status or my name won't be compromised, then I can really do what my heart wants to do because there's something wrong with my heart. So what do I do? I go in the dark. See, in the dark, then I can do what my heart really wants to do. And that's why we have a tendency to shout at people on the outside, but then we sin in the dark. You know, it's when we're alone that we really get to know who we really are. Because the law doesn't change a single person. The law does not transform. It only creates people who conform. And Nehemiah doesn't get this. So Nehemiah now, after he gave the law, Nehemiah's like, we good. We rebuilt the walls. We rebuilt the temple. 
You got your city back. You got your church back. We rebuilt the homes. We, we built the structures. You got all of it now. You're good now. You're good. Ain't got, ain't got nothing to worry about now. Everything's, everything's there. And then he leaves, he goes, you know, uh, he, he goes back to Artaxerxes and then he comes back from spending some time with Artaxerxes and he looks at them and he says, they're all breaking the law. They're all breaking the law. And he, you, he's profoundly depressed. He's angry. He's depressed. He's mad. He's, he's, he's throwing hands. And, and he looks, he goes, this is not what I had in mind. I thought if I just built the wall, built the church, built the structures, gave them the law, that the nation would be fixed and the nation of Israel would be restored. And yet he's confronting the gross truth that the law doesn't fix nobody. And then notice what he does. He then creates parameters. He closes the walls. You saw that? Like he shuts the gates of the wall so they can't sell on the Sabbath. And then what do they do? They just go outside the walls. Isn't it funny how what we do next when we realize, oh my gosh, this is this is this is this is some I gotta teach this real quick. I gotta teach this real quick. This is for the pastors real quick. Isn't it funny how? I mean, we've all made this mistake, right? Where we find people who commit sins or they're living a life uh, outside of the will of God, right? Deviant, deviating from the will of God. And so what do we do is we say, all right, now let's let's create boundaries. You know, we'll we'll do exactly what Nehemiah did, right? We're just gonna now close the gates of the wall and create boundaries, not realizing that when you create boundaries, you, because you haven't addressed the issue of the heart, what do people do? They then go to the edge of the boundary and find themselves on the periphery of whatever it is that you had told them to do, and then find themselves falling again and deviating again, because boundaries don't fix people either. <laughs> boundaries don't fix people either. Nehemiah closes the walls, and what do they do? They start building homes outside the walls. They start going on the edge of the walls, making deals on the edge of the wall. So we won't do it in the city, but we'll do it outside the city. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I'm some over time. I just need two more minutes because I really want to lay this in on you. Nehemiah ends with a gross reality. The reality is, is a temple don't fix nobody. A city can't fix anybody. The Bible and the rules and the law doesn't fix anybody. People can't be transformed by any of that. And while Nehemiah, while we find this reality, Nehemiah hasn't yet seen it and he's left in this tension at the end of this verse. 
Remember me, oh my God, for good. It's like, remember, remember the things that I did, God, because this is this this ain't it. I, I did my best and it didn't work. And this is for the pastors and the ministers and the leaders who find themselves in a place where they see people who aren't really living the way that they ought to. And yes, you've given them the law, but you didn't give them grace. It's grace that transforms and not the law. The issue that Israel has, and this is what Nehemiah exposes, is that the issue that Israel has is not the fact that they don't have the law. The issue that Israel has, or or the temple, the issue that Israel has is, is they have not yet seen a transformation of heart. They need their hearts transformed. It was never about the law. It was about the heart. It was never about the rules. It was about the heart. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And unlike the children of Israel, we are not under the law, but we are under grace. I didn't get to say everything I wanted to say. Um, But I do want you to go back and read when they decide to covenant in the law. When they decide to covenant in the law, notice what the the word there is next to it. When the covenant was sealed, all the names that we read who were part of sealing the covenant, they called it a curse. It was the curse in the law. What they were covenanting into was the curse. The law is a curse, family. Because the law does not fix you. The law condemns you. Do you understand that? The law in the scriptures is what gives Satan power. Oh, my goodness. Just give me, give me two more minutes. Two more minutes. I'm way over today, but I got to work this. The scriptures tell us that the strength of sin is the law. The scriptures tell us that the enemy, Satan, is the accuser of the brethren. So what is the purpose of the law? The scriptures tell us that the strength of sin is the law. Mm -hmm. That the law in and of itself is a curse. And if the devil is the accuser of the brethren, then the devil is your prosecutor. And so what the law does is, is that the law gives Satan power, gives the devil power. Meaning now, all the rules that you read in the book is actually what gives the devil power. Ah, but thank God that we are not under the law, but we're under grace. We're not under the rules, but we are under him, covered by him and filled with him. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. What gives sin power is the law. And so they call this the curse. 
Nehemiah ends with attention. And I want you just to, if there's anything you leave out of this long rant, there's anything you leave with today, just leave with this. The law can't change me. The law can do nothing. The law, the law can't do anything. I don't need more laws and more rules. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. And that's what Nehemiah exposes. The law can't change me. Only Jesus can. And yet I need Jesus to change my heart. Love you guys. God bless you. Father, I ask, Lord, as we engage in this day-to-day, -day, let us be convicted today, but at the same time, let us be encouraged <laughs> to know, Lord, that how, Lord, the law is ineffective. It's ineffective in transforming us and changing our mind and changing our heart. The law is ineffective. Ah, but the law exposes your holiness and your righteousness and the goodness of who you are. And yet we are incapable of following this law, not without your spirit, not without your power. So Father, I ask, Lord, before we get convicted to conform ourselves to the law, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would transform us, transform our hearts, make us into new creatures, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Father, I ask Lord, for each and every person who's here, there's a person today who's been struggling with this. Father, I just pray right now, Lord, that you would, Lord, speak to them today. Lord, allow them to encounter your love. Lord, pour your spirit out upon them. Fill them with your spirit. Lord, that they may begin to see through your eyes and through your lens. And Lord, that they would see, Lord, that they are made anew and afresh in you. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Men and amen.